So Lisa, I was scrounging about looking for articles on cutting edge topics on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I actually found several of them for 2021. And when I saw some of them, it was really interesting because they hit on three or four points uh, and others kind of overlapped and repeated the same things from previous years, but just kind of gave me this idea that we should probably do something similar where we give some priority topics out to the endurance sport community so we can talk about them over the next few episodes. That's a really great idea because I think this issue is evolving, right? There's some kind of um, Mm. longevity, certainly with particular areas, but as technology changes, as needs change, as our landscape changes, so does what DEI looks like in any given space. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we have several topics that we should touch upon. I would say probably about seven or eight topics, but let's just kick it off by giving folks a bit of an overview and then we can deep dive into it later. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I found this article by EverFi that was talking about some really cutting edge DEI topics. And as you know, we do this work every day, all day. And so we're always looking to make sure that we're kind of ahead of the curve and ahead of the conversation. And so given that, we have to stay up with the industry leaders in diversity, equity, and inclusion as far as what in the world are they talking about? Is there something new that we haven't heard before as we continue our teaching and consulting and all the things that we do, writing, so forth? And so when I found this article, I said, hmm, I think we could make a nice little laundry list of things that endurance sport really needs to think about. Um, And so, of course, I always want to have your half of your brain put together with my half of my brain and we figure this thing out. So um, I know there's a few topics that are kind of top of mind for us uh, that we just wanted to share with our listeners here. Um, But there's so many. I mean, it's hard to choose. Like, how would we even drill down to what's really the most important over the next year, few years, et cetera? Like, how do we even get to this point? I mean, that's a great question. I also kind of wonder who who are the industry leaders creating these lists of current and future trends, right? So whose voices are being centered in that process? Um, I think um, in the article that mm-hmm. you found, it, it's a woman of color who wrote it, but I don't know that that's always been the case. So mm-hmm. presumably um, your kind of position in the world, right? The the glasses through which you see things shapes what you consider to be a trend or a direction mm. that folks should go in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's why I've done my best to kind of follow some new people. Um, I'll probably share some in our show notes, but um, I follow folks that I haven't traditionally followed. So for example, even uh, before some of the tragedies that happened in Atlanta, I made it my business to follow quite a few Asian American scholars and thought leaders in certain areas, because I knew that was a really, um, that's where I need to cut my teeth a little bit more in those areas. Um, Or even when it comes to ableism, Lisa, we've talked about that quite a bit, Uh, Native American communities and so forth. There are certain areas where I know I'm extremely strong and other areas that I'm constantly working on. And so I just made it my business to follow some of those voices. And that's kind of where I've heard some of these cutting edge topics, conversations, 
Um, and so I've started centering different identities of industry leaders in order to get more of a mix, um, just to get at your point of whose lens are we really looking through here when it comes to the work that we're doing. I, I've done my best to do that. I know I leaned heavily African-American and heavily Black female. And so trying to kind of move that pendulum, pendulum a little bit, I know that's going to be natural, um, but moving that a little bit so I'm even more inclusive in whose voices I'm listening to mm-hmm. um, on social media as well. So I hear you on that. Yeah. And I think that's important for our listeners to hear that, you know, you do this work and have been doing this work for a really long time and you're still identifying areas of growth for you. Um, and you're actively looking for opportunities to educate yourself and to learn in these different areas. And so I think sometimes we can be too quick to want to get to the solution, which we've talked about before. And as though that there's this Mount Everest of DEI and you'll Mm, acquire mm. X amount of knowledge and then you'll be at the top and you can put a flag in versus understanding that this is an ongoing process. And again, as the landscape changes, so do those concepts and needs. And so you do have to have your finger on the pulse, but kind of many pulses, I suppose, based on what you're saying, there's not just one place that you should be going for this information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, as I put some ideas together, you know, that was one of the things I was trying to do was not just have, you know, black voices or black female voices, et cetera. And so, you know, that's kind of how I approached this list. And I think, you know, you and I both want to approach this list. I've even thought about making sure that I don't have all United States citizen voices, but having more a global perspective on some of these conversations, because, you know, we have people coming forward saying, hey, we have a global organization and we have to look at diversity from a global perspective because, you know, someone in France may not understand what Black Lives Matter truly means. They just know that there have historically been travesties against African-Americans, for example. So, you know, how what's the starting point um, so that I can kind of drop my United States citizen privilege to figure out how I would even work globally like that. That's another cutting edge for me right now, even as I try to compile this list of of important topics that we need to discuss. Yeah, an offshoot of intersectional feminism is transnational feminism, which is it's more than an offshoot. Mm. It's kind of Mm -hmm. like, you know, a next iteration of and it does takes into account exactly what you're saying. Because, you know, U.S. policy and culture and history influences global economics, human rights issues, um, military endeavors, right? And so there's this push Mm -hmm. and pull. And this may feel like a far cry from endurance sports, but I don't know that it is in the sense of, you know, people play and engage in sport around the world. And kind of those, those same dynamics of exclusion exist but in different contexts so that's going to look different in brazil to what it looks like in france to what it looks like in saudi arabia to what it looks like in australia and i do think that it's absolutely to understand that Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know so let's 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 drill down a little bit so why don't you share Mm. kind of the overview of the list that you created and then we're going to focus on one of them for today's chat yeah, I think that's a great idea because it's so much. I think we could have like months of content just on this alone. And I think people would be interested in each. Um, but just a few of the topics that I thought were really important, and I'm hoping that you're going to co-sign on my list here. Um, but the first thing I thought about was the notion of Jedi language, meaning justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Now, justice is not a new thing to us. None of it 
none of the four is new to us, but it's interesting that I'm starting to hear the alphabet soup mix up a little bit differently where we're not holding diversity, equity, and inclusion separate from justice, but now we're putting it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's just some new concepts going on. And frankly, people are looking for social corporate responsibility where it's not okay for you to just build bikes and drop them off in a low-income area of a neighborhood, but actually building the bikes, dropping them off in the low-income neighborhood, but then also lobbying in your state or even on your city council to make sure you have bike trails for little kids so they don't have to ride on the street. I mean, like it's the route and the outcome. So Mm -hmm. uh, that Jedi, have you heard that Jedi language recently or, or how long have you been hearing it? Because to me, it feels like it's just been bubbling up the last few months or so. Yeah, I have not heard it that much. So I've, um, you know, I've heard of social justice and diversity and inclusion, and then kind of the equity got floated in there more recently, like in the last five to seven years, I would say, but adding in justice, dropping the social and adding in justice, maybe that's just convenient because that creates Jedi as the acronym. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's Mm -hmm. definitely a newer way of thinking about it. Um, because it connects the micro to the macro, doesn't it? Exactly what you're saying. It connects those kind of individual Mm. interactions, group interactions in communities with these larger social structures and systems, which is what we talk about all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I do like the incorporation of justice and thinking that what we do on a local level has ripple effects, you know, outside of that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and then I started thinking too about how, Endurance sport organizations should continue to think about hiring DEI experts and not just rely on the identities of athletes in the sport. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot because I think our positionality kind of puts us in that place where we are speaking from a consultant perspective constantly. But I do think that there's something to kind of unearth behind presuming that someone's social identities make them equipped to do the job. So, you know, I read this, I think it was a meme years ago that said, you know, just because I stand in the garage, that doesn't mean I'm a car, right? That just means I'm in the space. That doesn't mean I know how to function in that way, right? And and so it's, I'm probably messing that up. But, But the point being that we can't presume that identities equate to skill sets. It's, I think it's just a mistake that lots of work, and it's not to be a money grubbing consultant. It's just to say that, you know, I know lots of people who are fantastically connected to Black culture, for example, but I would not necessarily tap them on their shoulder to be a DEI expert because there are other skills that go along with the identity groups. So I, I think that's one that endurance sport organizations need to think about um, rather than reaching for the, you know, proverbial low-hanging fruit of let's just snatch up someone who happens to be an endurance sport, who happens to have these lived experiences, but all of that plus specific skill sets. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I I don't see it happening. Um, We have talked a bit about socioeconomic status, but um, I think we need to really consider it on the heels of us wrapping up COVID-19, hopefully. (laughs) I mean, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that we've seen the articles, you probably know them better than I, around how long it will take women to recover financially from everything we've lost during this pandemic. You can't tell me that doesn't directly apply to endurance sport, which is a relatively expensive sport. So there's, yeah. there's some connections I think we need to make Absolutely. there. Absolutely. I agree. I agree on yeah. that one too. Check that box. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Okay. Okay. So far I'm doing good. Y'all so far, Lisa says I'm doing great. Um, <laughs> um, we, this is not a new topic, but I think we need to go deeper in the intersections of trans women, um, and categories of gender. So, you know, enough already with the gendered swim caps, you know, enough already with Athena and Clydesdale, enough already with all the things related to these areas, these gendered areas, but specifically around trans women. So we can go much deeper on that. And I, um, I want to check my own privilege by not speaking too much to that topic right now until we have a trans person on this podcast with us. Um, yeah. So I just feel strongly about that, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm aware that it's there. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly mental health. I mean, good gracious. I'm, I think we've all gotten a crash course on yeah. what mental health means, especially during the pandemic, but it was relevant even before. Um, inclusive virtual spaces. Now we kind of flirted with this a little bit with the virtual blackface, but oh, I, th- right. yeah, yeah. So I, we flirted with that a bit, but I think we need to go deeper in that because I've seen very exclusive behavior in virtual spaces, even before COVID and before George Floyd and before Brianna, t- before all the 2020 things. Um, and so I think it's something that we really need to consider as far as are we creating online groups that are inclusive and who's to monitor those groups? And what's the, I don't even want to say qualifications, but what perspective should the moderators of these groups have in order to make sure I I got a whole lot going on with that one. I've got a real soapbox around that one in particular. Yeah. It feels like that got catapulted to the front with COVID (laughs) and everyone going (laughs) online, right? It might've been a more gentle increase um, without Mm, a global pandemic, mm -hmm. but certainly um, a lot of coaching happens online. You know, coaches create online groups and communities for their athletes. You have tri clubs or cycling clubs or swimming clubs that also have an online presence, you know, beyond Facebook groups. Um, I do think that that is something that we need to keep our finger on because as COVID passes again, hopefully, right. Mm -hmm. We don't really want to revert back to that status quo where we weren't paying a whole lot of attention to the online space, you know, outside of those kind of big questions around Facebook and Russian interference in the election and all Mm -hmm. those pieces, right? So as as a community, it would, we would be remiss if we didn't continue to dive into that one in the next couple of years. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, We did uh, bring up intersectionality. And again, this is not new. You know, the first thing I thought about was Yes, this is Kimberly Crenshaw's concept, but she just did a really great interview about the 30th anniversary of the concept. So this is not a new concept, even though it might be new to certain people. Um, It's not new in, especially as far as academics are concerned. But I love this quote that she, um, she gave to, I think it was Time Magazine, where she says, we tend to talk about race and equality as separate from inequality based on gender, class, sexual, sexuality, or immigrant status. What's often missing is how some people are subject to all of those. And the experience is not just the sum of its parts. And that was a uh, interview that she conducted in 2020. So I think we really need to get to a place where we dissect that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's more complex, right? It, it's more complex than we may want to think about it. And I think sometimes we get to hide out in privilege by saying either we don't want to talk about it at all, or we're only going to talk about one at a time. And that's not how people live their lives. I mean, you don't talk, you don't live your life just being a woman or just being white or just be, 
you know, it's all together. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to go there eventually. I do think we need to go to generations. You know, we talk about this in workplaces. I think, um, I think it was LinkedIn. They did a really great study on what it means to be in a multi-generational workforce. And I know there's a lot of articles out there, but they always need to be updated as the new generation emerges. And so with that, I think, you know, we need to get really clear on what it means to um, have multi-generational coaching and training and resources and events. And so I think that's another area that we should kind of touch on there. So yeah, that, that's where my um, my brain was going. I know that's a bit much, but I think it's really important that we kind of predict the future and look down the street and around the corner as far as, you know, what endurance sport is going to need to stay alive. And if we don't talk about these topics, yeah. eh, I don't know. But w- what do you think of my list, Lisa? Am I doing decent? I love your list. I mean, we're, I think it's very robust. And the last one especially makes me think of an article I read recently, or maybe it was a, a news piece I heard on NPR about ageism. And so when we think about multi-generational athletes, like how is ageism seeping wow. into our training and coaching, um, both at kind of the young end and the older end? Um, mm-hmm. That is definitely worthy of a look because I don't hear when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, I do not hear very often the incorporation of age or what does it mean to coach clients from 18 to 72 and anywhere in between. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we don't go there. We don't go there. And, you know, I think what's really interesting is that we don't go there um, as far as the generations or the needs that come along part and parcel with each generation. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if you you picked on a triathlete that's been training since they were 20 and now they're in their 80s, I guarantee you they could speak to us about, in fact, you know, put a note, put a pin here that we need to identify someone to come on the podcast that's over like 60 or something. Um, But I think if you ask them, they would have a different reason and or approach to their training at various phases in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear more about that and what that means. So um, whether yeah. it's time commitment or, and, and I'm not even talking about injuries or anything like that. I'm just talking about just life. Just, even if you're living a great life, life changes, right? What does it look like? Yeah. And then your experience is also mediated or moderated by race, gender, class, right? And how kind of the evolution of those identities in a social context, you know, just, I'm just mm-hmm. women, for example, who were born in 1940, you know, their mm. kind of progress through the decades and the experiences that they've had and what they were allowed to do and not allowed to do is markedly different from someone who was born in 2001, right? Oh, yeah. From a woman sure. from 2001. And so I think mm-hmm. that brings us back, circles us back nicely to spend a little bit of more time, perhaps in the last 10, 15 minutes of this pod on the intersectionality piece. Um, mm, I, think, mm-hmm. I think we should dive a little deeper there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think what I love about Crenshaw's, you know, concept is that it, it did start with being a black woman and then this lens kind of parsed out to other areas of overlap. So I always talk about getting messy with the identities, you know, how messy can we get? So are we talking about a woman who went from low income to high income, but now is recently divorced and, 
they are, they're sexual orientation. There's so many different ways to get messy with identity. And so, you know, thinking through how I always go back to that universal design podcast, Lisa, you know, how can we continue to design training events, anything related to endurance sport athletes, where we're not presuming one cookie cutter of anything. It's right. just, I don't even think it should be designed that way, but I, I like the messiness of intersectionality because I think that's more of the lived experience versus the yeah, really static textbook. Oh, let me read the chapter on race. Now let me read the chapter yeah. on gender. We don't live like that. We, no. we do not live like that. So the messier, the better for me. But um, do you feel like we should approach this from, for example, one identity and branch out from that? Or should we really have like a full kaleidoscope of identity groups? Because people do it in different ways when it comes to intersectionality. Oh, I like that visual of the kaleidoscope um, Mm. or prism Mm -hmm. or something. I don't, hmm, that's interesting because what I'm reading this quote that you already read on the podcast from Crenshaw, where she says, um, the experience is not just the sum of its parts. And I think about that in terms mm-hmm. of how perhaps endurance sports has approached identity up until per- perhaps last year, um, where it's this added, it's an additive um, process, right? So it's Ooh. like race plus gender plus sexual orientation, but they kind of exist in their silos mm-hmm. versus kind of like a mixing bowl where it's mm-hmm. all blended together and that shapes a person's experience. So mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's the shift I would like to see when people are talking about intersectionality and how it relates to endurance sports. But to your point, Mm. I think that question is dependent on the context, right? So like in certain Mm. spaces for me, my womanhood is most salient. And so that is the point at which I provide um, perspective, um, thoughts, et cetera, right? And in other spaces, it's my whiteness, uh, and it's not to say that the whiteness doesn't affect the womanhood and the womanhood doesn't affect the whiteness, but it's like one of those identities takes a front seat. Um, and so I think that's an argument mm. for your approach, the latter one that you said, where you start with one identity and then you kind of branch out, but not in that siloed additive process. Does that make mm. sense? Oh, it certainly makes sense. And, and you're, I, I love what you just said about front seat, because I think what's happened, it's, it's kind of like, Uh, maybe three phases of intersectionality where the first phase was kind of like pick one seat and throw all the other seats out. You can only choose one Mm. to talk about right now. Right. Right. So we're just choosing one seat. So that was the first phase. Then Crenshaw got us to a place where no, no, let's, let's make space for multiple seats. And I'm not requiring folks to determine which one is at the front, but you've just got multiple seats to work with. It may even be a row. Okay. And now we're getting to this third seat of sophistication where it's like, oh, I have these uh, interchangeable seats where if I walk in one room, I want this seat. And when I walk into another room, I want that seat. You know, depending who, depending on who I'm talking on the phone with, I might choose three different seats. It just makes it more malleable, which causes right. folks to be more sophisticated mm-hmm. in thinking about who they are, wherever they are. So, yeah, you're giving me some ideas with that whole seat situation here well and the back seats are are still there right like that's that earlier iteration it was a single seat there were no back seats there was no passenger seat it was just one seat (laughs) 
<laughs> right. But right. this kind of newer malleable um, description that mm-hmm. you provided, right? Yes. Yeah, so there's, it's, yeah, it's, ro- it's not rotating might be too simplistic, but the back seats are always there. So it's not that mm-hmm. they're gone, right? But yeah, given circumstance um, elevates either by choice or by mm. um, someone else's choice or circumstance, right? You yeah. get yeah. Propelled, one identity gets propelled forward. Um, mm, and mm-hmm, I think that's really mm-hmm. interesting about if it's a force, if it's forced versus yes, consensual. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right. Exactly. Well, and it's <laughs> now we're getting so complex. It's making me think about, um, you know, when you go to Disney or any amusement park and you have those teacups and they're spinning, there's lots of seats in each teacup. Yes. It's probably like four and they're spinning. Right. But they're spinning. And then sometimes they're elevated and sometimes they're brought down. So that's what visual just came to me around. We're never not sitting in all of our seats. It's just a matter of which one is lifted up more or not, but we all still have these seats. Um, And so I think it's much more complex than just pick a seat and throw the rest out. Um, We don't get an opportunity to do that. Or, or at least I, I don't think it's appropriate to do. Maybe some of us, let's go back to your forced choice for versus not some of us may have been forced to choose a seat and throw mm. the others out, um, which is not appropriate and reeks of some of a uncontextual privilege that's going on. Right. Like I'm, I'm imagining from some folks that have been forced into one particular identity. Yeah. It's yeah. probably a lot of folks. Yeah. And it makes me think, so, you know, Crenshaw's original premise was an African-American woman who experienced employment discrimination, but because there were no mm-hmm. laws discrimination Mm -hmm. laws that addressed the intersection of gender and race, you know, the judge was like, well, the company is not discriminating against women because look at all these women that they hire and they're not discriminating against African-Americans because look at all these African-Americans they hire that were all men. Um, And so Mm -hmm. she was kind of like out of luck in terms of being, you know, getting some recourse around the discrimination that she had experienced. And I wonder if, in endurance sports, you know, and the federations, if all of those policies and processes and rules and regulations are kind of written in that same way, right? Like Mm, if you mm -hmm. experience sex discrimination or gender discrimination, if you experience Mm -hmm. racial discrimination, but there's not this teacup blending of like, what about an athlete that experiences abuse based on a connection of three identities, right? As they're Mm -hmm. participating in a, in a activity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, it, it makes me think of a a student of mine that I had um, at GW who would have identified as African-American, as a woman, also as uh, hard of hearing. So she was part of the deaf community because she could sign. Um, And um, there was some body image privilege going on there. So I'm thinking about four, like off the rip. Uh, that she held on a regular basis and imagining her parlaying into endurance sport and how would the entire sport receive her or not um, based on that whole mixture of good messiness. Maybe I should call it good messiness. Like, Mm. you know, like John Lewis says, good trouble, good messy. Um, Because sometimes I think we perceive messy as a bad thing. I see messy as a good thing. Um, But yeah, there's a lot who isn't messy that's in endurance sport? Like, can we, I don't think we can pick anybody that's not messy. It's just right. a matter of do you acknowledge the messiness or not? 
Yeah. And I don't think that the messiness gets acknowledged because it's too complicated, right? And when we're mm. talking about a system of rules and regulations mm-hmm. that govern a race or an event, mm-hmm. messy doesn't really have a place, right? So folks who are living yep. at multiple intersections in terms of their identity, I think, yeah, get forced to choose mm-hmm. in ways. Who am I in this moment? And I can only be one thing because right. this kind of like rigid structured system that I would argue grows out of white supremacy is Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't account for that at all. No. Well, and let's think about the reasons why it doesn't account for the good messiness of intersectionality, because it's uncomfortable for those who make the rules. Right. It's uncomfortable for them. It's comfortable for, well, I won't say that it's it's reality for me to live my, the messiness of my life as far as all of the layers of my identity. But it's hard for an organization that, you know, doesn't want to account for that. They're thinking, oh, let's make this very cookie cutter. Let's just have a lot of widgets and you need to force yourself into this widget or just exclude yourself. Yeah. And there are some folks like me who are the, the good messy people that say, no, I will not be excluded because your system doesn't include me currently. That means that you have work to do. And so I think those folks that show up that don't fit the cookie cutter of endurance sport can be a mirror to the organizations to say, no, there's nothing at all wrong with me. There are some challenges with your system. So let's hold up the mirror and you can face that and then work through that. If you're willing to be a anti-racist, anti-sexist, inclusive organization, those folks that keep showing up despite the resistance end up being the mirrors. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, can, can we continue to hold up those mirrors in ways that are conducive to everybody so we can kind of get back to that universal design thing? Um, I, I think it really forces people to be introspective, organizations to be introspective. I mean, I'm thinking about coaches right now that are probably like silent screaming as they're listening to this podcast because they're like, oh my gosh, I only coach towards one group of people. How do I change that? Yeah. And it's not stable, is it? Um, I think we, you know, in the US, we, or not a lot of people, a large number of people kind of perceive Mm -hmm. identity as this stable thing um, that's Mm. that's carved out and Mm -hmm. identifiable in some way. And I think what intersectionality can push us to understand, you know, if we kind of extend the premise is that identities are not fixed. They're not necessarily stable. And so if we want to be truly inclusive in our endurance sport event, for example, then we have to understand that instability. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, and the the instability and uh, how can we say? Instability is a great word. Evolution is a great word. Um, a pivoting, adjustment. I mean, it's, it's human development, right? So the fact that we, it, it's kind of like imagining that someone who's five years old will stay five for the rest of their lives. Like right, that should be right. realistic. And so, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, an athlete at 15, 25, 35, 45? It's, I think these identities, especially when it comes to intersectionality, it should be an expectation that people evolve, whether they, whether they evolve within their identity groups or whether they evolve to, through, and beyond those identity groups, it should be an expectation that it's not going to stay stable. That's Mm -hmm. just not human development at all anyway. So, you know, how do we 
build or provide some infrastructure to organizations that are supposed to change over time. Right. You know, they're, they're just, yeah. I, I always use my, um, my example of the Bay Bridge. The Bay Bridge is not built to be stable. It's actually built to be both stable and flexible. We don't do that shit in, in endurance sport at all. I mean, it's, no. this is the way it is. You can either fit into it or not. If mm-hmm. this earthquake comes, we're going to go tumbling down. And I think the events of 2020 have created an earthquake that can break the sport down if we choose. And then folks like us, folks that are cognizant of this work can start to rebuild it Mm -hmm. so that it can be flexible, stable all at the same time, because this is not easy stuff. Yeah. Um, And and it's not stable (laughs) in the best of ways. It's not stable in the best of ways. Absolutely. And it just, yeah, it just brings me back to rules and regulations. Um, Mm. It's like a square Mm -hmm. peg and a round hole in a little bit, right? Because we're saying intersectional experiences of the world are not stable. They're fluid, they change, and we have to adapt to that. But we have a Mm -hmm. set of rules and regulations that govern federations and events and um, activities that desperately want to be stable and fixed because that's what's, um, kind of argued is fair and as though fair is this neutral concept that is not Mm -hmm. attached to um, the people that create the rules right and Mm -hmm. so fairness is in the eye of the beholder Um, and I think that there's this incongruence there that I that just came to me thinking about that as you were talking Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah that's that's a bit of a bitter pill to swallow I think for for a not an organization, like a whole culture, a sport culture that is like predicated <laughs> on this mm-hmm. concept of fairness. Fairness. Yep. Absolutely. It, it, it is a bitter pill to swallow. So, you know, I, I think this is just scratching the surface of all of these topics that are kind of coming to the fore for me, for us um, as podcast hosts, you know, this is something that we want to continue talking about. Um, I want to be clear too. And Lisa, I hope you feel the same way that there's a few topics on this list that um, Mm -hmm. I should never feel well-versed in and that we want expert voices to come into. So you and I, can we um, uh, pinky pinky swear that we're going to check our privilege when it comes to those areas, right? Um, So that we can invite more voices in because they're important, but we realize that obviously we never have all the answers. So you know, I'm looking forward to checking down this list. We've got the first one down, um, but yeah, I think we have much more to come. I agree. Yeah. Hey, feisty folks, Jamila here, the feisty team community innovator. In June of 2020, we launched a feisty team to help you all stay feisty, no matter what the year threw your way. Over the last six months, we've come together as a team to try and make the world a feistier place and connect with other like-minded friends in triathlon and endurance sports. We meet every month and bring in experts that can help us on the path to building feistiness in ourselves and others and create meaningful change in our sport and community. The monthly subscription is only $22 and you'll get monthly feisty huddles and webinars with expert guests, big sponsor discounts, swag and monthly prizes, challenges to stay motivated, a community of feisty like-minded friends, Plus, we are adding new initiatives all the time, like our new book club and virtual workouts. Go to feistyteam.com to join us and become a part of the feistiest team in endurance sports so we can crush 2021 together. That is feistyteam.com. 
Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.